0: This is Beekeeper Confidential, a show about the curious lives of bees and their beekeepers. I'm your host, Mandy Shaw. Over the last year, I participated in the Bee Informed Partnership's Sentinel Apiary Program, and I was curious to learn more about what goes on at the lab at the University of Maryland where the Bee Informed Partnership is stationed. After I completed the program and upon special request from one of our listeners, I asked for an interview and they said yes. Joining us from the B-Lab is Kelly Kohanek and Dan Reynolds. Okay, Well, let's just start by introducing yourselves. So, Kelly, um, how do you pronounce your
1: last name? Uh, it's Colhanic. Like yeah. Oh, I
0: like that.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And you are a PhD candidate.
1: Yeah, that's right. So I'm in the fourth year of my PhD here. I'm supposed to finish in the spring, hopefully. Ooh. <laughs> um, yes. Um, so I study beekeeping management practices and colony health. Um, so looking at trends between management practices and Brood levels and mortality and um, which treatments work and which ones don't um, over long periods of time and throughout the landscape. Um, and then I'm also looking at that idea of inter-apiary transmission, where if there's a colony with high mites in the landscape. Are those bees and mites getting transmitted to neighboring apiaries and to what extent and what are the consequences of that um, and things like that?
2: And my name's Dan Reynolds, <laughs> and it's Reynolds like the rap. And um, I currently, we kind of co-lead the Sentinel Apiary Program. Uh, In addition to that, I also work for the Be informed Partnership. So I also fill in 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 the lab here and different tasks and helping manage some of the the labor of the undergrads here in the lab and, you know, any other projects. We kind of all wear multiple hats here. So um, my main focus is the Sentinel Apiary Program.
0: Now, is it the undergrads who are counting the bees in each of the sample jars?
2: They're doing the brunt of the, the labor. When you send in a sample uh, from the, the program, they're counting out each of the bees, counting out 100 bees, putting them in a bag, uh, crushing them, counting the Nosema, um and then so they're getting they're getting all that data, and then I put that into into the, your report, and then generate that and get that get that back to you. So they're they're doing a lot of the physical stuff, and their eyes are the ones that are straining at the scopes. Uh, <laughs> but they get to come in for two hour breaks thing, and they go back to class and do something different.
1: They work very hard. We're they very work very hard. hard. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so you guys also not you not only count the bees in each sample, but you're measuring the bees.
2: We're not measuring, like, the, the length of the bees, but we are weighing the bees. Oh, um, okay. So in, that, in that measurement, anyways, we're weighing the bees uh, to get an idea of how much uh, 100 bees from that sample would weigh to, to average out and see what your mite load uh, would be based on, you know, per 100 bees.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you guys have a really fancy machine for washing the bees?
2: So we have a wrist shaker machine that uh, holds about 12 samples at a time. Um, we take each sample and put it load it into the machine. And then we run the machine for a half hour and that will dislodge any mites that are in that sample. Uh, and then that liquid is poured out and then we manually count the mites that are in that, mm-hmm. uh, in that liquid. And that's how we get, get the mite counts.
0: In the data that you guys have collected over the years, Do you have very much data on beekeepers that are using more natural beekeeping or more treatment-free methods for varroa management? Mm
1: -hmm. So we do have some beekeepers, mainly in the Sentinel program, who participate, who try to use fewer uh, synthetic treatments. Um, Usually they do a combination of like drone brood removal and then they will do a chemical treatment in the fall when the the varroa pressure gets more intense. Mm -hmm. So part of my PhD is to try to analyze, like I said, the efficacy of those different practices. We know that non-chemical methods can be very effective when they're done properly, but it's very labor intensive to do them properly. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, we're trying to sort of see how often they are done properly and how effective they are when they aren't done properly. Yeah.
0: And one of the things that you guys were asking for participant input was if instruction guides or recommendations would be helpful along with the the report that we get each month. Mm -hmm. What were some of the responses that you guys got from that? Unless it's top secret. (laughs) No,
2: it's not top secret. We're pretty transparent here. Um, it, I think we got uh, everyone liked that idea um, that, that, that we're getting some sort of feedback or some sort of input on their management. And one thing we've really noticed with the Sentinel program is that location has a lot to do with it. If we tell somebody in New York to do the same uh, same treatment or same management as somebody in Florida, they're experiencing totally different things. There's mm-hmm. places in the country where there's they don't even have any brood breaks. So we have trying to hone down these, these uh, specific locations to see what other people are doing in those, those areas to, to see if they're effective yeah. um, or not. So
0: I was really surprised when I looked at the, the map for, for the sentinel apiaries and the differences in varroa levels and I was really stunned by Louisiana.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Not to talk bad about Louisiana, <laughs> but their mite loads were so high for a long time.
1: Yeah, um, so the south definitely tends to have more burrow pressure um, than we do in the north, and um, it's a little bit counterintuitive. You know, I think sort of the idea is that beekeeping in the south might be easier because it's warmer and you don't have to endure a harsh winter. But that winter causes your colonies to not produce brood, which forces the mites to take a break from reproducing. So the bees in the South don't get that break. Um, So their mites are constantly reproducing all year long, which gives a lot more opportunity for the viruses to build up to more severe levels. So um, yeah, they do have a lot more varroa pressure in the South and you know they can in February have an intense infestation whereas us, our our bees are asleep and hopefully the mites are being forced to be asleep then too. So
0: So I haven't been able to figure out how long A single varroa mite can live for. Mm -hmm. Do you
1: know? I don't know if anybody knows that. There is so much about the varroa life cycle that we do not fully understand and it also seems like it's adapting quite a bit Uh um, as we treat them more aggressively and they're sort of forced to evolve more rapidly. Um, So yeah I don't know off the top of my head and I don't know if anybody knows. Because
0: I've I've dissected dead outs with my microscope and I'll like look at it and pick out dead pupa. And I know the dead out's been dead for uh, at least a week and there will still be live varroa mites in the, in the cells. Yeah. Which is like, okay, so they don't necessarily need the warmth to stay alive. Uh-huh. I guess if they have, even if it's a dead pupa in there to snack on, they can still.
2: <laughs> Keep going. I, I know that you know some people here at uh, University of Maryland Lab. This is where our Be Informed Partnerships headquarters lab is is out of the University of Maryland. Um, and I know some of the, the grad students here have been trying to get the mites to reproduce uh, in a in a lab type you know environment and have been actually having a difficult time to replicate the natural environment that they would be in uh, doing that. So
1: it, you know, yeah, they're perfectly designed for what they do. So they're very sensitive to needing a real colony, and yeah.
0: Well, you you said something that I think is really compelling, and that the Varroa mites are evolving and responding to changes very rapidly. Mm-hmm. But at what point are we hurting the bee population by trying to force them into adapting to Varroa levels? And I, this this is a very controversial topic. Um, <laughs> but I just I don't know. That's something that I think about a lot, and how. How can we find a happy medium so we're not creating a bigger problem than than the one that's already there
1: yeah so um i think you know ideally we could do darwinian beekeeping that would be the simplest solution from the outset is to just like yeah let's just let everything die they'll figure it out they'll adapt they'll evolve But since honeybees are this domesticated species that we rely on for pollination services and food production, we can't really afford to do that. So our only other option is to try to fight the mites with these um, chemical and non-chemical approaches. And then, so where the selection pressure happens, where the evolution is sort of taking place quickly is when we're using the same chemicals over and over Mm-hmm. And that's when they start to evolve resistance to different treatments. So like kumafos and fluvalinate aren't as effective as they were 10 years ago because the mites developed resistance because those were the most popular products and everyone was using them. So that selection pressure is super intense, so they have no choice but to evolve to survive that. And only the ones who can survive it live and reproduce. So then you end up with a resistant population. So you know, we really try to advocate for monitoring as much as possible so that you're only applying chemicals when you need to, um, and you're not just doing it on a calendar basis, um, so that can reduce the selection pressure. And then we also really try to advocate for rotating products, so making sure you're, you can combine natural and synthetic um, methods, that's a great option, or just making sure that you're Um, rotating active ingredients, so using a formic and then an amitraz and then an oxalic, not just one of those for the entire year because that switches the selection pressure and can reduce resistance also. So all those things help sort of trick the mites um, so that they can't catch up quite as quickly because, yeah, they do reproduce much faster than honeybees. You know, honeybees sort of only have one reproductive cycle in the year when the queens are going out and mating and when um, swarms are happening or splits are being made. And the mites are reproducing and changing their population all year. So it's important to try to stay uh-huh. ahead of them <laughs>
0: So with all of this, I always I get the deer in the headlights look when somebody asks me what advice I have for a new beekeeper. Mm-hmm. And the things that you just talked about, I mean, those are the things that I think people don't realize when they are getting their bees for the very first time.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of people, you know, they hear that the bees are struggling and they want to help. So they get a couple colonies and they don't realize how expensive it is. It's very expensive. Uh, hobby. Yeah. They don't realize how Way time intensive it's going to be. Yeah. yeah. I mean, keeping bees it's tough. You know, it's, it's tough to keep really healthy, productive bees and not be sad every winter if your colonies die. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, bee informed partnership is having a fundraiser. Yes, yes. <laughs> let's talk about that.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, this is you know this time of year we you know do our annual uh, fundraiser drive, and we uh, are, are reaching out to the beekeeping community and the rest of the uh, beekeeping world and people that also that benefit by just having bees do you know pollination services. Um, and we are asking that anyone is able to um, and will consider donating a little bit of money to BIP to help these services keep going. Um, uh, we are a nonprofit organization and we do rely on funding and donations from from the public a, a, as well. So yeah, if, if there is a little bit of extra room, we have, have a little bit of, uh, you've got a big Christmas bonus this year yeah. or a Monday bonus you know and, and you, you want to give a little bit back. We appreciate every. Every penny we get here and we put it to very good use.
0: I switched out my Hive Tracks subscription because I wasn't using it very much. I can just write down my notes and pop them in a spreadsheet. Um, so I switched that out to make monthly donations to Be Informed Partnership. So, oh, that's so wonderful. I hope that we will inspire some of our listeners to also. Um, if they can make a single donation or an ongoing donation, it really helps to support the work that you guys are doing. And the work that you're doing is not just there in the lab. Um, you guys have tech transfer teams that are going out and helping beekeepers that are having issues. Can you talk about that? That's kind of one of my like geeky fantasies is to be a tech transfer team associate. <laughs> okay. yeah, they're a great group. Yeah,
1: yeah
2: so, so I, b- I believe right now we have five teams uh, across the country. Uh, we work with commercial beekeepers, uh, primarily the techs work with the, the commercial beekeepers, uh, going out there, building a rapport with these different beekeepers. And then um, you know, depending on what their needs are, we have queen breeders. We have people that just do pollination services. We have people that are just doing, you know, that are honey producers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some that dabble a little bit in, in everything. So we have different services to offer the beekeepers. Our techs go out We'll go go through, we'll spend very, very long days and, and spend multiple days on the road actually going to multiple apiaries and, and checking on their colonies, uh, doing alcohol washes in the field so we can, before we leave the yard, we can give data back to the, the beekeeper about uh, their particular mite loads uh, and then they also send in samples to the lab, and we can do, if, if they're interested in viral analysis or pesticide analysis, in addition to the Varroa and Ocema, uh, analysis that we're doing. Yeah. Um,
0: can we talk about the viral analysis? I'm really curious about honeybee viruses. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, um, I think when we do viral analysis, we test for seven or so viruses. I um, so. Yeah. yeah. So there are quite a few. A lot of them do not have visible symptoms. Um, Sometimes the bees will be hairless or they'll be kind of twitchy. That can be other things. That can just be old bees, you know, old foragers, a lot of time won't have very much hair. There is sac brood virus, which um, you can visually see. And you can actually see a lot of this. We, um, We make disease manuals, which have great photos. One of our tech team members, Rob Snyder in California, took all these amazing photos of all these diseases and they can help you diagnose what you're seeing. Um, So sac brood is, there'll be an uncapped pupa and then the little pupa's in there and you can see its head um, and its head will be pointed. So it kind of looks like a little sack in there. Yeah, Yeah, it's got a Mm -hmm. shrunken head and it's pointy. And they should have (laughs) have that nice big round head with the almost developed eyes. So that's, that's another one you can visually see. But yeah, another issue with the virus is we get people asking questions like, I see deformed wings. What do I do? How can I treat for that? And you can't really treat for a virus, you know, kind of similar for humans. We don't have a lot of antiviral medications. You just sort of have to wait it out. So usually the advice we give is to feed that colony and make sure it's supported nutritionally and in other ways. Um, But really the best way to combat viruses is to keep those mite loads as low as possible because um, once the varioa get established and they start spreading those viruses around, it's very hard to... Right the ship and sort of fix that situation.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And those visuals are available on your newly designed website. <laughs> yes,
2: yes. Our, our we have a new new website just launched last month. Uh, we're very excited about it, I and mean, we're hoping it's a you know quite a bit more streamlined than the old one uh-huh. uh, and easier to, to navigate through. And we also have some very you know pretty pictures on there. And um, uh, yeah, we're very excited about that. Yeah,
0: yeah. it really looks terrific. Your lab also does processing for the national honeybee survey.
2: Yes, we we also do that as, as well, and I believe we have thirty, I think there was thirty six states participating in that mm-hmm. uh, that program. Um, and basically, what they do is they go out uh, within their state, take take samples, uh, their composite samples of eight colonies. Each state, I believe, gets twenty four of these samples. Go out, take these samples. We receive them at the lab, uh, and it, in addition, checking for Verona veronosima, we're checking for the the triple A lapse mite, uh, which is not here yet. Um, but uh, we we don't we don't want the triple A lapse mite to arrive, so this is kind of an early warning, or we're, we're checking to make sure that there's nothing like that uh, that is occurring.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and then they also send us a, a a pesticide sample, so they're sending us a, a wax sample as well. That, Sent out
1: So, yeah, and then they're also, they of, take a live bee sample for viruses in that case. So, in that case, they're putting, what is it, like 150 bees from each colony? So, 150 times eight. Yes. Whatever that is. Um, <laughs> We're scientists, <laughs> not mathematicians. <laughs> yeah. do math. Um, 1,500 ish bees <laughs> into a cardboard box. Um, it's similar for what you'd use to ship queens. Um, and then they ship those to our lab, uh, and then those get processed for viruses as well. Um, and that that processing happens down the road at the USDA lab in Beltsville. Oh, um,
0: okay. Yeah.
1: The Informed um, employees do the processing, but they have the facilities at Beltsville. So it's really nice to be so close to that facility because we can collaborate with them a lot and sort of use their setup and stuff like that. So
0: Yeah. yeah. I participated this year in that, through, through Oregon State University um, uh-huh. or, yeah, yeah, Oregon State University. Sometimes I get the universities confused. They don't like that. I know that OSU, I don't know. <laughs> ducks, beavers, ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, in a
2: pond maybe?
0: Right. Uh, but yeah, it was really, really great when they came out to pull their samples because I could piggyback my samples for you guys off of their work because cool. they they did all the heavy lifting they took all the stings i just had to stand there when they had they had the live bees i was able to get my scoops and pop them in the bottle
2: <laughs> well taking notes is important too you know with getting data or getting something into the lab or if we just run a sample without any sort of context it almost makes that sample worthless uh it doesn't really tell much and having the notes and what your frames of bees are what your uh, brood pattern you know queen status having all that information really ties it together and gives us a more than just a, a little snapshot kind of gives us a, a larger larger picture of so what's going on there so thank you so much for participating yeah <laughs> it was,
0: i was very excited when they asked if if I would do that and I was a little bit worried at first because it was the same apiary that I was using for the um, sentinel apiary program and I thought oh this is going to be really hard on those bees doing all the sampling but in the end it wasn't they it was fine and it was just yeah. it was something cool to do
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah that's cool yeah, yeah you'll get you'll get a report back you know that report comes back much slower so it, yeah. you can't for management applications as much but it's cool you know you can get pesticide results which a lot of hobbyist beekeepers don't have access to because it's super super expensive so that's cool information to get that that a lot of people don't have access to yeah. so, do you want us to describe the sentinel program I'll end in a few sentences yeah okay
2: um so the sentinel apiary program is a, a colony health monitoring program that will either monitor four or eight colonies over the, the course of six months, which is uh, runs from May to October, uh, during that time, the beekeeper or participant will take samples from those colonies and send them to the lab. Uh, we try to, upon receiving those samples, process them for Varroa and Nosema and get a report back to you within two weeks of, of receiving those samples. So we, we've noticed that, um, I mean, that basically kind of sums up the...
1: Yeah, yeah. But- and then the beekeeper is also doing a health inspection and they're recording queen status, brood pattern, frames of bees. And they put all of that on a data sheet um, and the state, some of the data sheets are in when they come back to us, is very entertaining. We've had like holes burned through one. Um, they're covered in like propolis and sweat and nectar. Yeah. So we try Heavy to interpret yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we try to interpret all the beekeeper handwriting um, oh, yeah. into the report. So basically what you get back is the diagnostics, but then you also have this awesome record of everything that's happened in those colonies over the whole season. Um, so it's really good for improving record keeping. As beekeepers, you know, your hands are full, and you're hot, and you're in your suit, and it's hard to remember to take thorough notes. Um, So we really think this helps with that. Um, And then, of course, that's incredibly valuable data for us. That's the only longitudinal data that Informed collects on that level, where we have the same colonies for a full six months, and combining the management information, the colony health diagnostics, and the varone acima loads. And mortality. um, And mortality, it's Mm -hmm. super, super valuable to us, so. Um, we hope that it's good for the beekeeper and it's also really beneficial for us
0: yeah I've definitely benefited from it up front I was a little hesitant because of the cost I think it mm-hmm. was 275 for the four colonies and then paying for shipping um, to send the samples to you guys which I discovered if you put the bottles in a USPS flat rate box ah. it's a lot cheaper than sending it back in the cardboard boxes that the each month samples come in it's like it's less than half the cost ends up being like i don't know seven and a half dollars or something
1: okay yeah yeah it's a little bit
0: pack that i came up with for you guys (laughs) (laughs) um but for me to like have somebody else hold me accountable for doing those samples every month on a schedule Mm -hmm. and to be held accountable for taking the notes And looking at all of those things, I think that was a really beneficial thing for me as a beekeeper to, to just get in those habits.
1: Yeah. And we think, you know, we've heard from participants that they learn so much from actually tracking all these things throughout an entire season. You know, you kind of better understand how these things fluctuate in your colonies. And every apiary is a little bit different depending on where you are and what management practices you prefer So getting to know how your colonies behave over the whole season can really save you time and effort and money in years to come When you can better predict what you're going to need to do based on what's happened in the past And you have this nice record to remind you Oh, yeah, this is I needed to feed this much at this time of year so you can be ready and you don't waste as much Um, So, yeah, we we have heard Positive feedback, and we're always just looking to make it better and more useful. So. Just
0: like if you can just get a bigger funnel. <laughs> yeah, I know.
1: <laughs> a bigger funnel. Yeah, that,
2: that is. Uh, yeah, I've heard that, and um, yeah, we're we're. I'm um, actually working on coming out with a sampling video that maybe, uh, as opposed to using that funnel and and trying to use that bump method to knock the bees into a, a, a bucket and then scoop them in there. Yeah. Uh, Sampling off the frame as long as you don't scoop your queen.
0: The very last month that I took samples, I tried just rolling them off of the frame directly into the funnel, and it worked wonderfully. Yeah, yeah it worked a lot better than bumping them off the frame, and especially like when you do that during a nectar flow, the yeah, bees all just get all covered oh. in nectar, and it's just a huge mess.
1: Yeah, totally, yeah. absolutely. Yeah,
2: yeah. So, so I'm wor- working. You know, as we. Every year passes. We're we're trying to add more things to the program, add add value to it. Um, so you know, like you said, that maybe having some sort of recommendation as far as treatment, what's going on in your area, what, what do you, what's you know what's your mite load, um, offering you know treatment for that or advice uh, you know, as far as what to do. We're trying to put more tools out there to, to make the program easier too. We don't want to uh, have it where it is cumbersome or or, or going to be. People send in a couple samples. And then I don't hear from them again. Oh. And, I, and, I, and, you know, and I, I think it's great that you know this this program. I mean, it, it's it's awesome that so many people want to join and that they're willing to pay for the program. And you know, I, I know that people are paying out of pocket, and that it's not we're not giving it away. It's not a cheap thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really want to make sure that my all my participants are feeling like they're getting value out of it and and being taken care of at the same time too. So I. Yeah. I you know, working for the Farm Partnership, I would like working for this 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 company. Uh, but you know, the Sentinel is also I, I feel very loyal to Sentinel, and that you know, working with that over the years, kind of building it up, and I feel like it's my baby. Um, so I, I I like it when other people uh, participate and, and also give me feedback and say they like it. I also don't mind hearing critiques either. So uh, if if there is feedback, I, I want to make the program better. So if there is that. I'm all ears, uh, but I, I like hearing the, the positive uh, part.
0: Of the <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, when you look at the data that you guys have collected over the year, what are some of the more compelling discoveries?
2: So we've we've noticed that with uh, you know monitoring the mites, it, it shows you on the graph uh, and and actually gives you an average comparing it to uh, the national honeybee survey averages. We, we've noticed that it, with treatments. You can, you can kind of ensure an effective treatment, whether it's a chemical or non-chemical treatment uh, by your actual mite loads. So the next month you did, did some sort of management uh, treatment, uh, your, your mite loads come down. Uh, but we've noticed that there's actually been kind of a double spike where uh, mite loads are high in, in August, starting to get high. People do a treatment, drop them down for you know September, and then by October they've been reinfested. So whether it's somebody that is not managing their bees properly that is causing a reinfestation or um, that's just the the, you know the the way it's it's going but at least you can see there that there is need to to focus on those colonies before going into winter
0: yeah has that changed so we the program
1: has been running since 2015 so i don't remember seeing as severe of spikes the first couple years. I think the last few years, pretty often, and it's it has been surprising how often this happens, either, like Dan said, the beekeeper will, you know, the row population spikes naturally in the fall. So by August, they're exceeding the recommended treatment threshold of three mites for 100 bees, they do an effective treatment, they bring it back below threshold, and then the very next month, it's even higher than it was before they treated. Um, so we see that sometimes, and then we also see, and this just breaks our hearts when it happens, the beekeeper all year has really, really low mite loads and they've been doing wonderfully all year. And then they send in their last round of samples in October and they've gone through the roof. And, and all the colonies have to,
2: are in red. Yeah. And, and then
1: we have to send them their last report with this like really high mite load. We're like, sorry, like you were doing so well. And now, so, um, that could be a few things, you know, it could be that a big portion of the mite population was underneath the brood cappings in the brood cells. And at that time of year, as the queens start to slow down and the brood production stops, um, there is no capped brood anymore. So now all those mites that were in the cells have to come out and be Uh on adult bees. So they show up more in the sample, which is adult bees. So that could be part of it. But then we also think that part of it is that the colonies in the landscape are definitely spreading mites to each other through robbing. So if a colony with high mites starts to decrease in population and get weak, it will be robbed out by neighboring colonies. And then the mites can jump off of the bees in that weak colony onto the strong bees from that robbing colony. And then they bring them back um, and spread them that way. We also know that varroa um, and viruses sort of decrease bees' ability to navigate and home properly. So it's possible that they're Getting lost in the landscape and ending up in neighboring colonies and apiaries and spreading mites that way. Um, And that could be an evolutionary advantage for the mites, if you think about it. It makes sense for them to want to spread. So it makes sense for a side effect of a viral infestation or a viral infestation to make you want to go to a new colony so that that spreads to a a novel host. So yeah, it's a real bummer. (laughs) And um, yeah, that's one of the things I'm trying to investigate, sort of like the extent to which that happens. But it also just really emphasizes the importance of monitoring as often as you can and never assuming that a treatment has worked because mm-hmm. all the time we see that you don't have the expected level of control. So it's really important to monitor before and after and as far before the winter as you can because you need those mite loads to be as low as possible for those overwintering bees who have to live a really long time and make it to the spring.
0: When we look at the bees' calendar for the season, it almost seems like maybe a month before they go into their overwintering cycle it's too late to really do any corrective measures if they've already been Mm -hmm. laden with varroa and there's a high viral load. Like when is it too late? When is Mm -hmm. the colony too far gone to do any like heroic measures to try and save them?
1: Yeah. Um, Another one of our colleagues, Zach Lamas, who is a grad student here at Maryland, um, uh, and he works on honeybees too, gives the analogy that we sort of get into hospital mode with our bees, where we realize they're sick and then we're trying to resuscitate them and do anything we can to save them. But with bees, usually by the time you get to that point, it's really not worth the investment to try to save them because they're likely too far gone. So being Mm -hmm. proactive and preventative is super, super important.
0: Well... That's a bummer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. I
1: talk to new YouTubers all the time, and they're always just like, I didn't realize it was going to be so sad. And they're always, <laughs> yeah, they're always just... Yeah. It's, it's very intense and intimidating I think when people join a beekeeping club at first and then you know every presenter is talking about Varroa and how awful it is and how all your colonies are going to die <laughs> so I mean I guess it is important to remember that we're all in this for a reason and yeah. anyone who I talk to and especially anyone like in the sciences or in bee research kind of just like ends up here on accident and it's just like you just get sucked in, right? You have like a friend who keeps bees and you go one time and you're like, this is the coolest thing ever. Um, and you just get sucked in and then you're accidentally just in it for the rest of your life. And you're
2: getting stung and you don't (laughs) even know it.
1: I mean, it is, it's hard and it's tough, but I think, um, being a part of the beekeeping community and interacting with this amazing social organism is what keeps people coming back and It is really a unique experience, Um, very unique pet to have as a hobbyist.
0: (laughs) You guys were really awesome.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, and hopefully hopefully you guys will get another little bump in donations and hopefully more participants um, for next year for the program.
1: Yeah, so I guess I'll just say find us at beinformed.org. You can donate, you can sign up for Sentinel, you can see Sentinel data. We have a public Varroa map that you can peruse and see mite loads at the state and county level. Um, so yeah, there's all sorts of cool stuff on there if you start fishing around.
2: And we'll be at the American Beekeeping Federation Conference in uh, Schaumburg, Illinois.
0: Okay, and that's, that's coming up in January, right?
2: Coming up in the beginning of, uh, of January. So okay. And I believe there will be um, a Sentinel workshop.
1: Yes, there will be a workshop for Sentinel participants. We have a partnership with um, ABF where they sponsored um, ABF members to have a $100 discount on a four colony kit. Whoa. So, yeah, if you're not an ABF member, we're hoping to get that going again for next year. Yeah. Um, so if you're not an ABF member member join and then hopefully you can get a discount um and then yeah we're holding a workshop at abf to try to um drum up more more buzz for that as well
0: <laughs> finally a b pun <laughs> yeah. So yeah
2: it'll so, be a real yeah. sting operation yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> to learn more and get involved visit dot You can also find the Be Informed Partnership on Facebook and Instagram. I'll include links to these and how to donate on my website at beekeeperconfidential.com. If you're enjoying the show, be sure to like and share on social media or leave us a review on iTunes. You can also take your crush to the next level by becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com forward slash Mandy Shaw. If you're going to be in the Los Angeles area on January 18th and 19th, come and visit me and a long list of beekeeping greats at the honeylove.org natural beekeeping conference. Until next time. May the buzz be with you. Beekeeper Confidential is a Waggleworks production and is written and produced by Mandy Shaw.